Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Today, we conclude our Witnessing the Wonder series. And today, we witness the wonder of the pure glory of God. Now, until Jesus comes back, there is no closer glimpse of God's glory than the radiant Jesus on Transfiguration Day. The glory of God was so bright, so overwhelming, and the encounter was so wonderful that the disciples didn't want it to end. They wanted to make their place living there. But while we are called to witness this incredible sight, we're not called to bask in it just yet. That time will come, but for now, we're called to encounter the transfiguration and be transformed. Now, the father started Epiphany revealing Jesus as his son at baptism. Maybe you remember those words, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. That's kind of the first bookend of, of, of Epiphany. And, and today in Transfiguration, we hear that almost identical statement God make. A classic Transfiguration sermon. Talks about the, the mountaintop experiences, but that we're not called to live there. We're called to go back down into the valley of the shadow of death, of Lent, and preparing for Easter at Mount Calvary. Mountaintop experiences are are metaphors for the high points in life, right? They're memorable, they're positive, exciting moments. Things like birthdays or graduations, weddings, those kinds of things. They're moments that we wish we could just capture and enjoy for a long, long time. You know, I think of, of my own wedding. I think of my, my brother's wedding out in Colorado when family from all over North America got together and, and just enjoyed a week of eating and laughing and, and, and drinking and, and just joy throughout that week. Just moments that you just wish, couldn't this just hang on a little bit more? These are moments that I think God gives us as a foretaste of what it will be like for the kingdom of God put right. Have you ever had that, that vacation that was just so incredibly relaxing, that was so peaceful and calm, that, that you just, I never want this to end? Just a foretaste of how good eternity will be. Now we have this moment of transfiguration, right? This mountains are our usual locations for what's called a, a theophany. A theophany is a, is a time in scripture where God makes himself shown. Like he just becomes visible in a kind of disguised sort of way. Not the fullness of God's glory, but just reveals himself visually. 
is a theophany. And so we, we have something like a theophany happen when, when Moses goes to Mount Horeb and he sees this burning bush, right? The burning bush is the presence, the visible presence of God in a hidden kind of way. Right? We, we have that again at Mount Sinai when Moses, again, goes up on Mount Sinai and has this interaction with God that results in the, the two tables of the law, the Ten Commandments, and we have lightning and thunder and this cloud of God's glory is present. Because in that cloud, that's the only way that Moses can experience the glory of God kind of behind the disguise of that cloud. And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face is altered. Matthew, in this account, says that it becomes, it, it, it shines like the sun. Now see, Jesus' divine nature is usually hidden in his human form. Right? God had to hide himself in the, in the skin of Jesus to be able to make his glory known to us. The glory of God wasn't something in that moment that God the Father bestowed onto Jesus just for that brief moment of time and then took it back again. But it was something that's inside of Jesus, right? It's, it is always present there, but he just pulls the curtain back just a little bit so that the disciples could see it as a foretaste before he closes that curtain again. I'm a, I'm a big superhero fan. Usually I'm a Marvel guy, but for the case of this illustration, I have to go the route of DC with Batman and Superman, right? Batman, for those of you who don't know, has no superpowers of his own. He's just a strong dude with really cool toys. Like the belt that just is packed with absolutely everything necessary. He's got the car of my dreams. It's just, but it's the toys that make Batman powerful. And Batman puts on the costume, puts on the toys in order to be powerful. Superman is very, very different, right? Superman, his disguise is Clark Kent. Because he is Superman, but he has to disguise himself by putting on glasses to become Clark Kent. That's his disguise. And when the glasses come off, all of a sudden, no one recognizes him as Clark Kent anymore, even though I think you could still know it was me. And nothing amazing just happened because I took my glasses off. That's really disappointing. <laughs> But when, G when, when, when Superman's disguise of Clark Kent comes off, his power is revealed as Superman. Right? Jesus is, is very similar to Superman, only infinitely better, in that in that moment, he takes the Jesus disguise off, and the Son of God is revealed in all of his glory. And then he puts that Jesus skin back on and becomes like the, the guy that the disciples have known for a long, long time. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just imagine what was going on in their minds. This would be an otherworldly, wild experience for them. They've already seen Jesus do incredible miracles, but they haven't seen his glory shining like this. And then to top that all off, you've got Moses, who, who represents all of God's law, and Elijah, who is the prophet of all prophets. These are like, this is the who's who. The disciples don't really have a, a clear understanding yet of who Jesus is, but they know Moses, and they know Elijah, and the fact that they are standing up there beaming with God's glory together with Jesus, this is something amazing. This is the hall of fame of the Old Testament right in front of them. 
glowing bright with the sun. Man, I never want this to end, Peter says. And the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to comprehend and know Moses and Elijah. They didn't have name tags, but they just knew who these were. I'm often amazed in this world put right that God keeps talking about and he promises to bring us the ability to recognize everybody, right? To be able to see and know that's, that's Moses, that's Elijah. This is some big stuff. Just think about what it's like to have somebody at church know you, to know your name, but not just your name, but to know about you, to know your, your greatest joys and accomplishments, to know your, your deepest fears and your, your worst pains, and to love you and accept you, just, just to know you. Imagine what that would be like, not just for a few people at church to know you, but for everyone to know you and for you to know them. Imagine that kind of fellowship that we're going to have with each other. What an amazing opportunity. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Now, here's something kind of cool that we miss in the, in the English, is this word for tent is what's used in the Old Testament for the word tabernacle. Tabernacle was the place where God's presence dwelt. It was a place of worship. It was a, a temporary temple. Peter, James, and John. Peter especially is like, Jesus, let's make three places of worship right here. I, I still don't quite have a grasp on who you are. I will at Pentecost, but I don't even know that yet. But I know Moses. I know Elijah. This is a holy place. We need to worship here. It's also the same word that John uses when he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus tabernacled with us. God's presence manifested and made real with us. The tabernacle was the place where God's glory presence was shielded from the people. Right? God's glory wasn't radiating out of the temple, but in a, in a cloud form present there to be able to know that the presence of God was there. And it was fearsome. Today, Jesus' earthly body, that is the presence of God. In this text, the presence of God with Peter, James, and John, but, but they had this limited knowledge because Jesus hadn't yet shown him the glory like they did today. Peter, in that moment, felt like he and the disciples were so close to heaven. The kingdom of God is right there. And Peter wants to prolong that. And this transfiguration moment isn't just one that, that Jesus shows to the disciples, Peter, James, and John, for the sake of just showing them something really cool. It's to give them a foretaste of what's to come. Because from this point on in, in Luke's text, it's, it's not just Jesus going from city to city, town to town, healing and teaching. It says Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus set his face towards the cross. Jesus set his face towards the whole purpose of all of this. And Peter, James, and John, I want you to know, I am not a mere mortal man. I have the glory of God. I am God with you. It's going to be a rough journey from here to Good Friday. But I have all of the strength, all of the power, all of the authority necessary for that trip. 
Now, they fell asleep. This transfiguration wasn't just to, to show them something amazing, but it was to bring them transformation. To not just change who Jesus was visually, but to change who Peter, James, and John are to their core. Because they start asleep, and once they're awakened from their sleep, they're afraid. So they start asleep and afraid. That's a great way to start any discipleship program. They fell asleep. How in the world could they possibly fall asleep? Well, let's set a little bit of context. They have been with Jesus, emotional roller coaster constantly, physical fear of, of, being, uh, of being captured, uh, put into prison, killed for what it is that they're doing, and they're praying, and it's quiet, and it's the end, and it's just been so much, and they don't know what's coming up. Well, I mean, we, we know because we've read this story before, but they have no idea what's coming, and so they're weary. And it's easy to get exhausted in this life, right? Exhausted with our careers, with building our own kingdom, just having apathy or going through the motions at church, thinking that we can please God with our actions, being a good Christian on Sunday morning, but not living like that the rest of our week. Not living a life of freedom, joy, or sacrifice, being renewed every single day. All these things cause our faith to become weary, complacent, empty, and hollow, and our faith hearts fall asleep. And yet Christ calls our hearts awake. And what does it take sometimes to, to, to wake us up? Well, sometimes it's those amazing, wonderful mountaintop experiences. And sometimes, if you're like me, it's those moments in the depths of the muck and the garbage. Siri has a trouble hearing me. What did I say that was close to Siri? But sometimes it takes that two by four that I need to be hit with to realize who I am, who I'm not, and who God is, to be hungry for his glory in my life. And they were afraid. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered into the cloud. Now, this cloud is, is not an atmospheric event. It's not precipitation. It's the presence of God. It's another Old Testament-type manifestation of the glory of God, hidden so that, that they wouldn't be overwhelmed. And the cloud was a sign, this representation of, of the great transcendence and majesty and greatness of God. And when it came to, to Mount Sinai, and there's lightning and the smoke and all the thundering and, and all of that, the people were told, even your cattle can't touch the mountain when this glory is on, or they will die. And so here comes this glory cloud, around Peter, James, and John, and they're afraid. The presence of God is with them. And they know what that means from an Old Testament meaning. Every place in the Hebrew Scriptures where the glory cloud appears, contact with it is lethal. And so Peter, James, and John, in the presence, physical manifestation of the glory of God, are afraid. And yet Jesus is present. You know, the question we were, we were struggling with this week is, how in the world could Peter, James, and John be in the presence of, of, of Jesus, peeling back his Jesus skin and letting the glory of God that's inside of him show how in the world could Peter, James, and John have lived to tell this story? Because of Jesus. Jesus makes an encounter with the very real presence of God possible. 
Jesus is the one who, who, who purifies our hearts and our souls and makes us able to stand in the presence of God. When we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Tiger, the name of you, but in the name of Jesus, God, I ask you to hear my prayers. Jesus is that mediator who goes between us and God. Jesus makes standing in the presence of God possible. He is always there. And that brings us just being in the presence of the glory of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ, brings us to a place of change, to transformation. You, you cannot experience the glory of God and stay the same. It's interesting when Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah are talking about Jesus' time of departure, that his departure will happen in Jerusalem. Right? We, can, we can quickly make the logic jump that he's talking about his crucifixion. He's, he's departing from this world through his death. And they're talking about that. But here's, here's kind of the, the neat piece. Again, English language is not my favorite language. The word here is exodus. And catch the irony. Moses is talking to Jesus about Jesus' own exodus. Right? Moses was the guy who brought the exodus from God sent to, to Moses to, to Egypt to deliver God's people out of slavery from Egypt into the, the wilderness and across the sea, across the river, into the promised land, the exodus. Moses is now talking to Jesus about the exodus that Jesus is about to enter into as he delivers his people out of slavery as he carries people through the waters of baptism into the promised land. They're talking about his exodus. Now this transfiguration and, and what went with it took place as a part of this great foundational part of our faith. It, it forms one of the major acts of our salvation. It establishes the fact that Jesus was the Son of God, is the Son of God, and it, and it did this not just by word or, or, or by inference of, of miracles but by pulling back the the human veil and allowing the glory of god to shine out that that he would die and rise again for our redemption and, and i want to share with you what this transformation looks like in practical everyday life if if jesus is indeed talking about the exodus that he will take it's our exodus too we are all in slavery to one thing or another or more. What areas of your life do you feel like you're in bondage? Maybe it's lust or anger or greed or, or grief or anxiety or, or anger. These are all things that rob us of our peace, of our joy. Sometimes it's just distractions. There's so many things going on. Our lives are so incredibly busy that we don't have time for what's really meaningful and important. You know, those things that we spend the most time with, the most money on, can quickly become our idols. Now, there was something unique that happened in 19 and 20 and still in 22 as our world was impacted by the COVID virus. And initially, for many people, it was a time of slowdown, right? You could... You could have fewer engagements to do, you had fewer sporting events, you had, you had fewer concerts, you, you stayed at home, you made time for one another. 
Have you just enjoyed rest? Now, I would never propose that that we would want to constantly live in a place of COVID. But there are certain lessons that I think that we experienced and encountered during that time that we've forgotten. For one reason or another, as soon as bans were lifted, man, we couldn't wait to get back out, couldn't wait to go back to the restaurants, couldn't wait to start playing sports again, couldn't wait to go back to the concerts, couldn't wait to see the shows, couldn't wait, couldn't wait, couldn't wait. And now for many of us, our lives look exactly the same as they did before COVID. I would never, never suggest or pray God send us another COVID-23. Because there was a great many things that were lost and a great many people who were lost. So I'd never pray for that. But I would pray that we remember some of the lessons that we learned in the middle of it. To hang on to those. To take time and rest. To prioritize the things that are truly meaningful in our lives. Parents, to teach our kids the things that are truly meaningful, not just with our words, but with our actions, with our pocketbooks, with our schedule. To be able to let Jesus lead us into an exodus with him, to journey into the wilderness, to learn more about who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do with this amazing gospel that he's given to us, to allow us to be changed, to not be so consumed with what everybody else is doing, but rather to be consumed by what Christ wants to do in us. And Jesus calls us, and he calls us into this life of of freedom. We don't live out this Christian life out of guilt or shame but out of a a spiritual compulsion that you just can't help but do because of what God God has done in you, because the glory that you've seen and the glory that you want others to see someday. And he calls us into this life of freedom. And he pulls us into this, this wilderness area that we journey and discover and learn in our lives. It's that time that you spend in God's word, time that you spend here in worship with one another, time that you spend in Bible study, time that you just, you spend talking to other people and growing in your capacity to share God's word. See, I think sometimes it's easy for us to want to just build tents and just say, I just want to stay here. Like, can my faith just be present at St. Luke's 2021 West State Road 426? Can my tabernacle be here? And then I can leave and live my life the way I want to outside of these walls and know that I can come back and let this be my tabernacle. Folks, tabernacles are portable. Do not keep your tabernacle here. Carry it with you into your homes, into your places of work, into your schools. Carry your God, carry your faith into your life. Don't let it stay here. Don't be content to just be safe, but carry it out into the world. And he calls us into this life of suffering and this life of joy that happens together as you carry your faith out into the world. And to keep an eternal focus, right? Jesus gives them a glimpse, a foretaste of what glory really looks like. Keep your mind fixed on that. 
Don't keep your mind fixed on all the struggles, all the trials, all the tribulations. Keep your mind focused on the glory that awaits you. Paul had this amazing capacity to keep his eyes on the prize, to always be faith-focused, to always have eternity in mind, that all he did was for that last day when he would stand in front of God and have God say, you are my son, with you I am well pleased. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now enjoy, enjoy what I've prepared for you. That was Paul's focus. I suggest that that would be our focus too. To know of this great, great life that exists when we close our eyes in this world and open them again in the next. Saturday morning, I got a, an early morning phone call. And it was a friend, a neighbor of somebody in the haven. Their husband had just passed. And as I was talking with the widow and praying, there was just this overwhelming joy that she had. There was grief. There was a heaviness. There was loss. But there was incredible joy and light in her eyes. I know exactly where my husband is. Her husband is, is today witnessing the full glory of God. Folks, that's what, that's what we're doing here. We're getting ready for that day. Right? To be able to see that day with new eyes, a place where there's no more mourning or crying or pain, no more disease or cancer, no more abuse, no more neglect, just peace and joy and love. And that's what, that's what this man sees today. And I can't wait to see that. I long for that. And, and I don't want to just long for it for me. I want to see that with you. I want to stand together with you and see that. To be able to go, there's, there's Jesus, there's Moses, Elijah, and oh my goodness, Peter, James, and John made it too. That will be a day. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are and, and the way that you reveal your glory to Peter, James, and John that day. Father, encourage us. Wake us from our sleep, our slumber. Awaken our hearts. Let us see your glory at work in our everyday lives. To be able to know that you are real, you are present with us, and you are powerful. Father, reveal that glory to us in your transfiguration and transform our lives. Don't leave us the same. Continue to give us strength and, and courage to boldly follow you to carry you with us everywhere that we go, to shine your light and your glory into the darkness of this world. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.